0: Hello, I'd like to welcome everybody to the CCW Safe Podcast. My name is Rob High, your host here in Oklahoma City, and I am joined today by a fantastic guest. We've got Doug Deaton. Um, Doug has got a law enforcement background, but he is doing expert work in use of force, and I think that's something I'd really like for our members to to get a little bit better understanding of, um, you know, you can have the best attorney in the world, but if you don't have the supporting cast to help, um, it it really makes that an uphill battle for the attorney. So uh, whether it's investigators or experts or uh, jury consultants or anything that goes along with that package of defense for you, is is really really critical. Um, I was introduced to to Doug last year and uh, finally got to meet him this year down at the TACCOG conference down in Dallas uh but Doug, if you would take a few minutes and kind of give us your background um, and how you came into uh because I, I know we didn't all start in law enforcement going one right. of these days i'm going to be an expert
1: <laughs> right right, right. Uh, well first thank, thank you for having me on the show uh on podcast it's it's uh genuinely mean that it's it's a real honor to be here speaking with you and, and to be on a podcast uh like this uh, um a year ago if somebody had told me i would i would be on this podcast talking to somebody like you i, I would not have believed that um, <laughs> the, there's been a lot of big changes in uh in my professional life, uh, since I left law enforcement, uh, again, my name is Doug Deaton. I uh, I, I live in uh, the Dallas area. I live in McKinney, Texas, just north of Dallas. Um, my entire uh, law enforcement career was in the Dallas area. Um, I uh, I retired from law enforcement not not quite two years ago. It's been uh, about a year and a half, roughly, and um, I was uh, with the Plano Police Department there. Um, it's the ninth largest uh, city and police department in the state of Texas. A little over 400 sworn officers serving a, a, a pretty diverse population uh, of r- roughly 300,000. Uh, it's probably a little more than that, but um, it's uh, it, it's been a very fast-growing city the entire time that I worked there. But uh, I was a police officer for uh, almost 26 years, and um, the the bulk of my Law enforcement experience was spent in uniform patrol and on the SWAT team. Uh, then I also uh, worked in, uh, as a sergeant, I was in uh, criminal investigations. So I worked uh, in what we called the family violence unit. So that was a investigative unit that dealt with any any type of assaultive or of persons crime that could happen within the family. Uh, right. So that included everything from basic, uh, uh, you know, just. Uh, family violence between two married adults all the way up to uh, child pornography crimes against children uh, child abuse and then uh uh, after that i I became the training sergeant for uh my agency and um and that that was another place where uh it's fair to say that i I lost a significant amount of my professional innocence uh working there uh my eyes were really open to the reality of of uh you the importance of things like lesson plans and and, and proof of training and, and uh, documentation and dealing with lawyers and uh, administrators. Um, so I was responsible for uh, all the training of, of veteran and incumbent officers, as well as the training for incoming uh, police recruits. And then um, I promoted to lieutenant and uh, so I was a patrol watch commander for a while. And then um, I guess I was relatively successful there because I Uh, I got uh, dragged into the chief's office. Uh, So that's where, uh, that was another place where I really began to see uh, the realities of what happens when uh, private citizens uh, get involved in sticky, I'll just say sticky or gritty situations for now. Um, So my, my official title there was administrative lieutenant for the chief of police. And that's really just a fancy way of saying uh that it's you're sort of a fixer um it's issues that don't quite rise to the level of a criminal investigation or they don't quite meet the criteria for an internal affairs type investigation but they definitely still need some kind of uh attention official attention and so that's what i what i dealt with and then um i finished my career with a five-year stint in uh crimes against persons Uh, so I was the lieutenant over that and that's uh, again anything that one human being can do to another Uh, everything from very simple assault uh, to kidnapping homicide uh, sex crimes uh, everything you can imagine so uh, five years of that and then uh, and then I retired and opened my own uh, company it's just a a one-man operation Um, I uh, I'm a licensed private investigator but I do very little uh, private investigations really uh, I mostly work these days as a litigation consultant for attorneys, as an expert witness, primarily in the areas of use of force, uh, police procedure, uh, police training, uh, security guard training, accountability, and also um, you know, citizen use of force, self-defense shootings, and or other incidents which may not necessarily involve a firearm, but still involve uh, significant use of force or a threat of force by by private citizens so that's uh that's what I'm doing today it's uh, it, it's I'm still relatively new in, in the private sector like I said it's, it hasn't been quite two years yet um, but uh, it's uh, it's been very interesting so
0: I uh, I kind of kind of got, kind of slid into doing that kind of work um and actually i was still the subject matter expert for for my department and still working in training um but there was a a county deputy that had been charged with with a fatality for a prisoner that was in custody Mm -hmm. and it was coming up on trial they had goodness um I don't know, maybe maybe three months, four months until the trial. and that's federal trial. Um, and I'd done a ton of federal court stuff, but I'd always done it on the law enforcement side. And after reviewing this case, I realized that, oh my goodness. Number one, my my belief was detention officers were responsible for this man's death, But the other thing was they had the wrong guy and it was horrible. Um, And that's when I learned kind of the dirty tricks from the prosecution side.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And I'd always worked on that side, but they had taken, you know, we were asking for, for things in discovery and I just got box, you know, like paper ream boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. Mm -hmm. had to go through and the time that it takes to to go through every piece of paper and you have to because it's not in any given particular order and it's just like well yep that's that's everything pertaining to training or policy and procedure and it was just like no rhyme or reason at all and and you have to dig through to find the little nuggets that you needed to properly defend this guy it was an incredible eye-opening experience for me and you know if you'd asked me about an officer involved within within our agency it was really simple for me to to come up with training documentation and all the other things that i needed because i was the one that was in charge of our archives it was very simple for me i could i could run and open up the computer and and download a handful of files and i'd put them sequentially in order and and an outline with them and everything right nobody does that um oh no. no so that was such an eye-opening experience but it's also something that your attorney doesn't have time to handle that that kind of stuff that's right you need support staff support people in position that can dig through the rubble and find what's valuable still. So, um, you know, we've done several different podcasts and touched on topics and I always referred to it as this perfectly beautiful, serene pond, the water's perfectly glass. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then all of a sudden somebody comes and disrupts it and throws a big rock right in the middle. Right. And those concentric ripples just go on and on and yes. on. even to the point where they go all the way out and they hit the shoreline they come they back start in. start
1: coming back in correct you're reflecting off the edges and you, almost like there's that like an aftershock from a from an earthquake i mean it's absolutely it, it comes back around again just when you think you've dealt with the third or fourth order effects of this incident here we go five years later somebody wants to revisit a certain a nuanced portion of it again
0: well, and the things that affect us as involved persons in those scenarios, you know, if you take uh, you take a soldier, you take a cop, you take guys that are purposely putting themselves in in that line of defense. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're doing it right, they're actually measuring what mm-hmm. what kind of effects my actions are going to, are going to cause. Correct. Right. to because They're going to cause, gonna right. cause responses. Um, it, it's when we don't have guys that are properly trained and, mm-hmm. and that makes the headache for those, for those agencies. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of like school teachers. You know, you get a school teacher that is accused of something inappropriate with a student. And the easy way for the administration is to quietly behind doors, tell them, You can't work here anymore, but we won't say anything if you'll just move on without making a scene. Right. And they kick that can down the road. Well, we do the same thing in law enforcement. Absolutely. It happens all the time. And I was so thankful that I worked for Oklahoma City and we held people accountable. Mm You know, the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do was arrest a cop. Right. But- somebody that's done something so egregious to violate the public trust, I felt like that was the highest calling that we had was to step in and fix that. Right. You know, I've, I've got a guy that's sitting in the penitentiary for secondary degree murder. I have a serial predator that's doing 268 years. He will never see the light of day. And, and I'm really proud of the work that I got to do on those cases. Um, and there's still cops that believe that they didn't do anything wrong, which just floors me to to turn a blind eye. But yeah, um,
1: in in my experience, the 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 best cops, the the best police officers, are the ones who who, who actively, proactively hold each other accountable. Yes, and, and uh, I'm sure you've seen something similar to this. I mean, I've seen, uh, i you know, I've seen a couple of times where someone uh, was knowingly and intentionally uh, stepping over the line. Uh, they had been warned about it repeatedly by their peers, uh, not their supervisors, but their peers and uh, their coworkers, and then and then and then given a final ultimatum: "You ever do that again,
2: yes.
1: and I'm going to go and report it, and then uh, we'll see what happens." And they did. Um, and it's uh, it's amazing. It's often the, the the people that are often most aggressive about holding cops accountable are other cops. Uh, and if you're working at a good agency, that's that's what you hope for. That's what you yes. want to see.
0: We also had a uh, a mechanism in place over uh, money seizures Mm -hmm. that uh, a a fraction of, and it was actually healthy, uh, a fraction of seizures went to training, um, which was a huge deal. Um, You know, I got sent all over the country during my tenure, and there's no telling how many hundreds of thousands of dollars were spent on my behalf. That's great. Um, But there's tons of guys out there. I mean, you you and I will see it in the civilian world now that, you know, our own Steve Moses, Steve, Steve is a training junkie. If there's a good class somewhere, he's loading up and he's going. Right. Um, I don't know how much money that man has spent out of pocket uh, over the course of the last 20 years, just bettering himself. And it hadn't stopped.
1: That's a common theme. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I worked for an agency that was, frankly, very well funded and and has a good reputation uh, throughout the country. And, and and they do send people to other to classes at, around the country. And at the same time, I I don't know how many thousands upon thousands of dollars that I've spent in my own money putting myself through schools along the way, um, especially uh, when I got very uh, serious about firearms and and, and shooting and, and so forth and you know I put myself through uh you know some pretty expensive schools you know week-long schools and uh um and sometimes that opens the door uh to getting to your agency to send other people to the same training later uh so that was the case with with me and a couple other guys but that 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 is a common theme I've seen in, in departments you know rich and poor I've seen uh people that are really serious about their craft and their professionalism willing to to spend their own money and, and sometimes to spend their own, uh, you know, their own leave time uh, going to that kind of training.
0: Yes. Um, on, on the other end of that, you get, uh, you get agencies that hire guys that are in, in the state of Oklahoma. It's terrifying. Um, I can get somebody in and put a badge and a gun on them. And they don't have to have a full certification yet they've got like a year window oh wow and i that terrifies me
1: so so they can be a sworn active duty long
0: hours of rest the whole nine yards wow Wow. and they you know the agency will bring you in with the promise that we will send you to the state um (laughs) training and get you you commissioned after you've served X amount of time. And what happens is they get you to about 11 months uh and separate. And then the guys just bounce and bounce and bounce. And then, you know, you've got a guy that's got five or six years and he's never been trained. Can you imagine
1: uh, like getting on an airplane? Let's say you were going to fly from Oklahoma city to, you know, I don't know, Miami Mm -hmm. and you got on the airplane and then they, they told you, Hey, the pilot, of this aircraft he's been involved in aviation for five years but he hasn't actually uh completed any formal pilot training so uh you know we're, we feel pretty good about it i mean we haven't had he hasn't crashed yet but uh <laughs> can you imagine that
0: <laughs> uh, yeah this the the state of law enforcement it, it has still got a long way to go and mm-hmm as you said, you know there's there's so many agencies that that really do the right thing and they really build things up and support them. Um, what caught my attention, uh you recently were doing some work on a graphic that it it man it just hit me between the eyes and it was like, I always use this uh concentric ripples theory. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens. And and all of a sudden you put it to paper. It's like, how the hell did Doug beat me to that? I should have been the one doing that. (laughs) You know, I did
1: that because it helps me to visualize, uh, you know, to visualize these processes that occur. I'm I'm a big believer in Venn diagrams, uh, uh, you know, graphics like that, just for clarity of thought. Yes. Um, Because a lot of times I I think we walk around with these concepts and, and images and thoughts in our head but it's difficult to arrange them all you know and especially when they there is absolutely a causal chain or a link between them all but then it's not that they happen sequentially many times these things occur simultaneously or, or, or one set of circumstances will occur which could involve five or six events and then the those you know begat the big next ripple the big wave which itself then creates another full set of circumstances which may or may not occur simultaneously or overlap and that's so that's kind of where
0: where it came up with that yeah it it, it's such an easy thing to work off of it it, everything about it i look at it and it's just like this makes perfect sense i've i've seen similar things for diagnostics for shooters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've seen when I was working uh, domestic assaults, it, it, I've seen that same kind of right, right for for the domestic violator. Um, I've seen them for uh, sex crimes, um, and it just man, it makes such good sense. But there's so many things out there that persons involved have no earthly idea the things going on.
1: No and it's not that you know and I want to be very careful how I say this because uh in my experience there's uh there's there's too many uh for you know current or former uh law enforcement guys that they don't mean to be condescending but they kind of come across that way sometimes inadvertently when when they're talking about um things that occur with private citizens and and the same for some former military guys and it's It's not fair to hold the private citizen to the same standard of performance as somebody who is professionally tasked with uh, you know, certain actions and behaviors or interventions. I mean, it's just like the pilot example I just came up with a second ago. You know, I mean, a a, a private pilot, a guy that goes and, you know, takes however many lessons, 10, 15 lessons. I mean, well, of course, that person's not going to perform at that level, the level of a commercial professional pilot, and we, we shouldn't expect him to, but um so you know anything we share or talk about here I, I just want to be very clear i am not in any way uh talking down to anybody or, or or acting in a way that makes it appear that you know the other people are more intelligent than the average citizen it's not that people are more intelligent yeah. in, in in law enforcement and it's certainly not amongst prosecutors and judges and courts and and all of that horrible stuff that can start happening to somebody later it's just that they that's what they do they do it more often
0: well, they've they've been pressure tested. They've yes. had the opportunity right. to be pressure tested over a period of time that's and be right. proficient, at least. Um, that's the big deal. Yes, but is. we've right. had we've had members. Um, you know, we're the, we're the only ones in the industry that have had a member charged with first degree murder that went to jury trial, went all the way through to acquittal. Um, okay, but the things that popped up during that case were just absolutely unforeseen um he lost his job because of it right yeah and I'm, i'm so honored to work for a company that went in and sat down with who his employer had been and actually worked out a severance package for him oh that's nice um you know, he he was on, you know, in order to be released on bond, he was required to be on uh, a GPS monitor. Mm-hmm. Well, the courts don't just give you those. Yeah. You basically pay for those and you, you have to keep them charged and you have to pay for the service and all of the things, but right. that's incumbent on you to take care of. Right. And they're not cheap.
1: In many no. places, those are, they are not
0: inexpensive at all. Uh, no. And so we financed that. We were the ones that, that paid for that. Um, you know, I, w- I was in down at TACCON. I sat through with, uh, oh, Lee and, uh, Lee Weems, Eric Gilhouse, and Jeff Right. They're discussing the aftermath of what, you know, it, right. from various aspects their involvements in critical incidents and what happened and uh they're discussing a case where the crime scene was in a man's home
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I thought it was brilliant somebody inside the classroom and it was a big class and it should have been it was such good information um, somebody asked the question um okay they did this for you and they did that for you um, did they clean up your house for you? And he's the involved guy is like, um, no, I I had to do that, right? And that man that hurt my heart. Yeah. Says number one, it's an absolute biohazard that needs to be dealt with properly. Yes. Because I scrub some some water and bleach on it, it doesn't make everything go away. No. Um, no. You know we. I, I just returned from a member involved case where same thing. The incident occurred inside his home. He was at the home, the door was kicked open, forcibly entered, Um but the the shooting took place inside the home. Mm-hmm. And you know, it it makes me feel so good to be able to respond to him and go, number one, I can put you in a hotel until we get this cleaned up. Right. Um member declines that's his choice i don't care right um but then to set into place and contact a an agency that that specializes in in cleaning up crime scenes right they come out and and give us a quote i said send the invoice to me this is this is on us we're taking care of it um same thing with you know you know, you're trying to tell people what to do, and it's so hard when you've not really mentally prepared and gone through all the stuff, right? Of the things that are you know, the next set of waves that are coming,
1: right? And I've, I've been on multiple crime scenes where the homeowner it, it suddenly dawns on them that oh, yeah. uh, there is a significant biohazard here, and and uh, again, many many people don't understand until you see it with your own eyes you don't understand what what can happen when a human being is shot you know I mean uh, uh, again we've both seen that I mean it's not just a little bit of blood it's it's bone matter it's it's teeth fragments it's you know it's it's uh you know it's bile it's uh you know intestinal contents spilled out onto your floor sprayed literally high velocity spray on the walls um, it, it is not it's it's not pretty and it, and it is literally a hazard you know it's not just unsightly it's a hazard to your health and to your family's health and uh, uh you're 100 percent right N- nobody is tasked legally mandated uh to, to clean that up or, or tasked with cleaning it up for that other person um you, in my experience usually what we've done is is we give the uh the citizen the names uh and phone numbers of a few different biohazard cleanup uh companies and then Uh, they they start making phone calls um so imagine uh uh you know you just had possibly the most significant incident of your life or your spouse has you know your wife or husband or or maybe your child whomever and and uh after the 12 to 14 hours worth of uh, investigation is finally wrapped up um you know finally the crime scene technicians have left and the tape finally comes down uh then you still have A serious, very serious job ahead of you uh, inside your own home. I mean, not not to mention all the rest of it, how that's gonna happen to you over the course of the next year or two.
0: Um you know, the the case I'm I'm talking about, you know, part of the part of the the peer support that we bring to to somebody that's been involved is kind of setting you up to succeed in dealing with the emotional onslaught that's getting ready to occur. Yes. Um because you're gonna hit every kind of emotion you can possibly think of. Be
2: mm-hmm.
0: sad, you're gonna be you you're gonna be like like gut hurt just mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And then it's going it's going to evolve and all of a sudden now I'm just really pissed off and
1: yes yes the the anger sets in especially when uh when they read the first false allegation uh or the first false account in the newspaper you know the, the news
3: or that's
0: some part blogger. of that um, is part of our our peer support is is telling you the the pitfalls to avoid mm-hmm some people just can't avoid so right you know are you are you a a person of faith you might want to reach out to somebody from the church or your pastor or whoever it might be that that can kind of help help deal with the grief of this incident
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um and and if you're not that's fine um you know do you have some a close group of friends do you have these things in place uh would you would you entertain the thought of some psychological therapy because because trauma memories are really difficult and they get so distorted and fractioned Right. and i've seen guys that were great cops they knew what was coming
2: mm-hmm.
0: and post incident they're like I don't know why my memory is so jumbled right now, and the whole time I'm trying to tell him that's that's the way this occurs. That's that's why that's why we try to give at least two sleep cycles to an officer that's been involved. Yes. Um, and I'm telling you, law enforcement is not going to do that for Joe Citizen. If I can, as an investigator, if I can get a statement tonight, guess what? I'm that much further ahead of the game, and and I don't have to worry about it anymore.
1: Right. I'm, I am I uh, am dealing with a case right now uh, involving a uh, a private citizen who was very badly beaten uh, at a at a bar, uh, horrible head injuries, uh, very bad uh, lacerations above his eyes, and they actually fractured his skull. So as multiple people were were stomping on this guy, one of the other one of his attackers had brass knuckles. He had significant head injuries, and eventually made it to his vehicle. They still tried to kill him there. They told him they were going to kill him, and he ended up accessing a pistol and, and shooting a few people. The police interviewed him just a few hours later after he had been released from the hospital with a fractured skull, uh, substantial head injuries. Uh, this is a man that didn't have any, you know he didn't have any uh, health insurance that, I, that I'm aware of, so the hospital wasn't, uh, you know they weren't incentivized to keep him much longer. Uh, they would never have interviewed a police officer who had suffered extensive head injuries and who had just been in a shooting involving multiple attackers. But as a private citizen, that man was interviewed about that incident just within, I would say, six hours. Six hours of the incident itself. So no sleep, serious head injuries, serious trauma, serious mental you know, and, and emotional issues going on. And they got a statement from him.
0: And undoubtedly medicated
1: oh no doubt about it and uh, that's one of the first things that i noticed when i was reviewing that particular case is that how uh, e- even even just from a fact-finding standpoint this is not a, a, this is not the right way or the best way to obtain accurate recollections or accurate information from this man but that didn't stop them from interviewing him extensively
0: yeah to me that's a misstep in law enforcement and i'm not i'm not trying to bash law enforcement though that's my family mm-hmm, me too but but yes, you're you're correct. There's so many things that we have to be cognizant of and have people in place that can help protect us in that time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it the the other thing, and you and you hit it. Uh you said that you know, that first time you see that that bit of bull crap in print that somebody's throwing out there that it's completely frivolous. It's absolutely nothing to do with what truly happened on the on the incident. Um, that's one of the very first things that we tell people, number one, get off your social media, shut it down. Yes. Turn it off, log off. Don't, right. don't access it. Right. Cause you're not going to see things you want to see. Um, and we tell all of our people that, you know, don't do this. Don't, don't turn on the news. Don't read the newspaper. Don't, don't expose yourself to things that are going to be upsetting because right. there are going to be things that are upsetting. Extremely. Um, and, you know, it just floors me the direction our media has gone because truth really never plays a role in it. It's no. No. it's what's going to sell copy. That's right. Um,
1: getting that scoop to be the first one to release that story.
0: Uh, <laughs> right, wrong or indifferent. Right. Um but even you know even post incident um you know there there are so many benefits to trauma counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there are means and methods now, um either brain spotting or EMDR, or things like that that help you to to kind of give a proper neural pathway so that you're in control of the thoughts and memories of this thing versus, you know, you're going along and all of a sudden you see something, hear something, smell something that takes you right back to that. And all of a sudden you're back in that trauma mode and you're in full blown panic. Right. To be able to put something in place that, that kind of helps you at least understand what's going on, in your body and in your brain and uh you know sleep gets gets screwed up and and diet gets screwed up and you know if, if you're a an occasional you know enjoy a good whiskey or something now it's not the time for whiskey
1: no it's really
0: not um, <laughs> it's not the time for whiskey uh there, there's just so many moving pieces to this
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and then you know moving into the investigator expert realm, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's, I don't just come just for peer support. I'm also coming to examine the scene and I'm looking and getting a firsthand grasp of of how this actually occurred. And uh, again, it is not pointing a finger at law enforcement. It is not knocking guys because uh, it's been my experience anywhere in the country that guys do the very best they can with what they have. You're right. That's mine as well. Um, but I, I also understand that not everybody has had the level of training that you have. Mm-hmm. They've not had the same opportunities that you and I have, have been afforded through the course of decades.
1: Correct. And, um, and, and sometimes you know, the way that I tell, I, I try to explain it to people is that. You know cities have personalities just like people do yes and, and and law and law enforcement agencies also have uh personalities um a culture uh i mean and another way that i put it is that uh, you know you can have two sports teams pick whatever sport you want two teams that are identical in in every way with regard to budgets coaching staff number of players uh you know the the population that they serve and and every sports fan knows that you can have that and yet those two teams have radically different cultures and and very different outlooks on how the game should be played and that that's the same in law enforcement um, you, you'll see some very distinct differences between you know methodologies and practices and, and and what their favorite interviewing schools are or their you know which crime scene you know crime scene guru do they subscribe to most often um, mm-hmm for self-defense uh, people that are in the self-defense shooting world. I mean, um, you know, we, we have our favorite, you know, we have our favorite instructors. We have the uh, some of them who have a bigger cult of personality surrounding them than others. Um, well, in the law enforcement training world, uh, you know, there are agencies that subscribe to, you know, uh, expert a, you know, when it comes to shooting reconstruction scenes, whereas these other agencies, they don't think much about expert A but they 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 prefer the methodology of expert B and and that can definitely affect the course of the investigation that occurs uh, after an incident
0: yeah we were we were so blessed as far as resources and training and the ability to think outside the box kind of encouraged to think outside the box mm-hmm. <clears throat> um one of our crime scene guys um He's a crime scene reconstructionist, shooting reconstructionist. He's brilliant at what he does. Um, did you guys operate and use a total station or something similar to that? Oh, yes. On- a- absolutely, yes. Um, for our members out there that don't have a clue what I'm talking about, it, it's just a, a tripod setup, and you you come in with a camera system that, and it takes a long time to yes to shoot an entire scene. But it does a complete perfect diagram photograph
2: mm-hmm.
0: with with measurements and everything of everything that's in that room right um so instead of guesstimating or or you know you being on one end of the tape measure and me being on the other end of the tape measure, it gives exact precise, perfect yes. View of what that scene was at the time when we arrived. And um, uh, well, man, the one I just got back from, that was something else that, that was there. So we had to come in and you know, our guy is is like, I don't know what they did, but it took him forever to yeah, finish yeah. He's like, no, bro, Yeah, you want that thing done. Yes, you do. You want that thing done yes, if they've got that, that ability. Um but they're just there're just so many aspects of of these investigations. I was going somewhere with that, and I just completely had a brain cell die.
1: Well, I think we were talking about the different uh you know the different capabilities and the training of different agencies um and, and their approach to these investigations and uh I mean, in fact that the uh the, the one I just mentioned previously where the man had serious head injuries and was involved in a, in a shooting against multiple attackers um this particular agency is, is uh, has the ability to to use them, I and mean, they've done that in the past to uh, 3D mapping and so forth. And uh, but this particular scene, it was very old school. Uh, you know, you, you remember you, you would pick two or three uh, fixed you know points uh, okay. at the scene, and then use your tape measure uh, to go and measure to ten different places. You know, you know from this uh, corner to the corner of the desk. You know, from the same corner, you know over to where the body is, et cetera, et cetera that's what they did here I mean it's 2023 and they and they this is you you would think it was 1985 uh, by the way that they measured that scene um it, it and to your point I mean uh, I I would rather have a, a 3D map that is accurate to the millimeter uh rather than a a hand-drawn uh hand-drawn diagram that was measured with a you know a tape measure and uh who knows how accurate it is and then of course things could have been moved I don't know but I want the total station. I want that mapping if it's at all possible.
0: Well, the incident that I I recently responded to, um, they know with absolute certainty there's two rounds fired, Mm -hmm. both from the same firearm. It's a semi-auto, so we know that both of the the casings have been ejected Uh and they recovered one. Well, the other one has to be in there somewhere. I would have, I would have, turned everything in that house upside down until i had it i and wouldn't have left.
1: and sometimes that is literally what is required is to turn couches upside down and yes. you'll find it inside the underneath i have mean, seen that freakish he's like how is that possible that this casing landed it, it's almost like a person put it in there yes. but they didn't you if you know that you have a ethical and investigative responsibility to find that it didn't if you're in a house it's not like it happened in a parking lot that means that that casing is in there somewhere
0: yeah it it is somewhere you got to find it
1: yes um
0: I know what I, I I recalled what I was trying to get to um this this buddy of mine that that is this reconstructionist um actually developed a deal that he can pair uh, a VR headset with the total station stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, it's actually been it's actually been accepted
1: into court. And so, can you sort of uh, maneuver or look within the within the scene when you look? You can
0: the you VR can heads? take you can use with permission from the judge, obviously, but the judge can see and look through your crime scene. Oh, cool! And the jury was allowed to look through it that's great dude that is that is so next level yeah what he was doing and and he i was still active on the department and uh i was working robbery at the time and he came over and and he's like dude you got to see what i'm doing and it it was so incredible i was like man i can i can walk all around for myself and examine the crime scene that's uh, pretty pretty amazing yeah so
1: yeah. that's the thing that you i mean the, he, he, i mean ultimately you know and i've said this uh you know to other people it's like one of the hardest things that people one of the hardest things for people to accept is that decisions uh and consequences are now out of your hands and that 12 strangers are going to uh, make that decision for you and so uh it is so difficult sometimes to be able to ensure that all twelve of those people are fully understanding what things looked like, uh, what what you know. It's impossible to explain to them what things smelled like, where the where the you know the arrangement of the room. They can look at two D photographs all day long, but uh, for them to be able to to see that in a three D type uh, setting, a uh, headset that's that is truly that's next level stuff.
0: It's pretty cool, um, <clears throat> and again, you know, I, I cannot stress enough that that if we find ourselves involved in something like this, how critical it is to kind of uh, insulate ourselves against everything. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, I've I've had people reach out and go, you know, well if this guy's family would have done blah, 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 mm-hmm. and it's like, number one, I need you to shut up and yes. stop naming the family. You
2: mm-hmm.
0: have no earthly idea what they've been through. No. So we've discussed previously, this is how to handle the case. This is how you handle what you're dealing with. Yes. And I've, I've been shot at, I've been, I've had friends of mine killed. I've had three family members involved in law enforcement shootings I I know every single aspect. What the emotional involvement is in all of it. Right. Um I I I can't make you take advantage of what I already know, but I I can sure try to talk you into it.
1: That that's the that's the thing that's um I don't know why it surprised me um going into the private sector. I should not have been surprised uh by this. I was. Um, I I have been surprised at the number of uh, people, uh, private citizens, uh, who have found themselves in a very, now, a very difficult uh, position. Uh, They know they are going to be going to trial um, for this this serious charge, and that if uh, they are convicted, they know they will be going to prison. So, I mean, everything is on the table i have been surprised at the number of people who are in that situation who continue to behave in a risky manner Uh, they continue to uh say and do things which draw attention to them uh, and their lifestyle and their thought processes um i mean i i'm on social media i am but um i'm very i'm i'm pretty cautious about what i post but um you know people who have been just who have been involved in a shooting who have been named in news articles who are going to be going to trial in my opinion have no business posting comments about anything involving use of force or shootings or police or criminal behavior or to your point you should stop altogether you should just shut that down and quit reading the comments and and also don't let your family members make comments on other people's uh, ignorant opinions about your own incident but it to, to, again to your point you can't make people take professional advice i guess it's the same way you know when doctors tell somebody hey you need to lose 40 pounds and you know and quit drinking so much well you can't make them do it uh yes. some people will continue to behave in ways that are actually against their own self-interest uh, just it, it again it shouldn't surprise me after 26 years in law enforcement but i just i thought that being Working on the other side of this a little bit, that you know maybe if you explain to some people just how bad their situation is, that they might heed that advice. And, and, and yeah, well most of them do. There's still a substantial percentage of people who don't. Um, they continue to behave just erratically and, and foolishly.
0: You know, we we've, we've done multiple different pieces of training for our members. Mm-hmm. In writing, in podcasts, um, covering the pitfalls of social media, mm-hmm. um, and we're we're getting ready to do another one because we've had so many people reach out and ask us if we would do um, a, a study on the case <clears throat> and how in the world did this guy wind up being not only charged but uh, convicted. Mm-hmm. Of, Shooting. it was the one down in texas
2: yeah yeah
0: well we all know that none of us had access to what that what that clown's social media stuff looked like but when you are deliberately talking whether it's just being funny and boastful and it, oh my gosh it happened to, to come out in reality right. but i'm gonna i'm gonna drive here and shoot me a protester i'm gonna do this or you or you're You're throwing out racial slurs, and dude, when when a jury sees that, you've really taken away their Mm -hmm. ability to to just focus on what happened right in front of you. So what I looks like you purposely inserted yourself into this position where where it could possibly happen.
1: Yes. That's, that is absolutely the perception that grand juries will have on the front end of the process. And then, uh, juries after conviction when it, now it's time to talk about sentencing. Um, many people don't realize that, uh, that there's information that is often kept from the trial jury I mean during during the the the, when we're trying to decide whether or not this person is or is not guilty of a specific crime
0: you don't you don't muddy the facts of the case
1: correct but what what many people don't realize um so I'll I'll talk about the grand jury portion first um and, and some states are slightly different but uh and thus far in my work as an expert witness I've I've been surprised to see that there are some Differences between states, uh, you know, in Texas, it's supposed to be secret most of the proceedings it, it, with a few exceptions uh, in some other states. Uh, the grand jury proceedings are actually audio recorded. Uh, some of them, they are uh, they're recorded by a court reporter, you know, they're taking you so you have a transcription, at least of the, the questions and answers, uh, the questions posed by members of the grand jury. And this is really important for anyone listening to this is that right or wrong whether it should be this way or shouldn't be this way, here's the way it really is. Grand juries can ask any question they want to about any aspect of your life and your previous behavior, previous incidents that you were involved in, your internet posts, your social media. There is nothing that is out of bounds or that's off limits because in most cases, uh, there's no rules against it And, and, and secondly, you typically don't have an attorney in there to object to it. And so they can ask anything they want of any witness. So your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, I worked on a case in particular, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, uh, they brought in, uh, the guy's neighbors and, and, and some of the people who had worked with him and for him. And they asked those people some very, very intrusive and pointed questions about this guy's previous behavior, his previous involvement, uh, in, in, in displays of firearms. Uh, and I have no doubt that his previous propensity to display a firearm, uh, when it probably wasn't necessary is probably what actually got him indicted because I don't, I don't actually believe the man this particular guy is guilty of, of murder, but it sure, like you said, it certainly didn't help things and it appeared that he had a, a willingness or a, even a hopefulness to be engaged in, in a armed confrontation. And that's how the grand jury saw it uh, now the trial jury won't be told about those incidents those prior incidents um, until. until if the, if he's found guilty then all of that gets to come in and so they get to see all of your prior internet posts and your facebook comments that well they seemed like they were maybe just a joke or uh, you know maybe a some chest thumping and boastfulness but when you view those in the light of the facts of this case and the fact that you've just been convicted uh, of, of you know of either manslaughter or murder well they take on a completely different meaning at that point and you don't get to control uh the perception that the that the jury has of that and and, and I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it but um, our internet post and our Facebook commentary uh, and I'm not exaggerating here and I mean if I am I mean if I'm wrong tell the audience I'm wrong but your Facebook posts and commentary that can get you an extra five to 10 years. You know, I mean, if they're trying to decide are we going to give this guy the minimum or the maximum or somewhere in between um, when they, when they view the context of it, like, yeah, I think this guy was actually hoping to shoot somebody. I mean, look at all this stupid commentary. So they're going to lean more towards the maximum side of that
0: sentence. Well, and, and just because it's on somebody else's page Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's, that it's safe from, from discovery. No, no, no. no. We get things all the time, whether it's podcasts or articles or, or just little advertisement teasers or whatever that we put, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it, it just amazes me how certain postings just get huge traction Mm-hmm. it's got to be uh there's got to be something that kind of spins it up once you get so much activity on it right that it okay. becomes more and more visible or something
2: right um,
0: but i mean we had something that was it it was a podcast that gary and i had done and it had nothing to do with a comment was mm-hmm. but it spun up thousands of comments oh wow and to to have to sit here and look at these things and and try to reach out to people and go listen you really you really need to be very cautious about the things that you're putting online this yeah. this whole i you know i'd shoot them in the face i'd do this i'd do that um and another thing that I can say from experience is typically when I hear people making boasts in that kind of vein,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, you're either being silly, and it's not, right, or you don't know if you have the capability to actually do what you're saying, and you're trying to talk yourself into it.
1: That's correct.
0: Couldn't see, couldn't tell you how many times I'd see a new cop go, "What I'd have done this." yeah you don't know what you would have done you know so you're actually you, you, know, you, you wouldn't have done that but right, but right once you got punched in the mouth you don't have a clue what your reaction was going
2: to.
1: it's that old mike tyson quote everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face and yeah. it's absolutely true um and that, that and that's that's again what i've have really been noticing i've um you know i've been working on this uh presentation i'm not sure when or where i will give it um who knows? But I've just been trying to get some thoughts in order and 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 define some things and and I've been thinking about incidents that I personally dealt with or encountered uh, while I was still a police officer, in which uh, otherwise normal people um, found themselves in an exceptionally difficult situation because they made a poor decision early on in the process. And uh, I don't I don't have this all worked out thoroughly yet, but I, I'm kind of working on this. This kind of uh, concept of a 30-second time machine. You know, imagine if I had a 30-second time machine. It only goes backwards 30 seconds, and I only get to use it once a year. So it's a real emergency-type thing. Um, I've seen multiple I- incidents, uh, not all uh, necessarily deadly force, but but very ugly incidents, uh, again involving perfectly normal, uh, rational people, uh, in up until the moment that they had this problem. And, you know, what, what I've seen consistently is in in many of those kinds of cases, that um, they are embarrassed and ashamed by the time the police have shown up, they really wish that they could just go home. And that if I had a 30 second time machine to sell them uh, for a million dollars, they would take it. Uh, You know, it's usually that those the statements we make, the the utterances the, the 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 foolish the foolish decision to engage the stranger or the other person somewhere in that thirty seconds prior to things going bad uh, if we just made a different decision in that thirty seconds um, your entire life would be different now um, and it, it's it, and again I'm I'm not exaggerating about that it's uh, and I'm seeing again very normal people well educated people uh, these are not people who typically go and look for trouble uh they they see something occurring they see another person behaving in a certain way and and you see that uh again phrases and, and statements that you hear from those individuals often as things along the lines of well somebody had to say something well that person needed to be told she needed to be told um or uh you know another one a, a variation is you know it's stuff like this, this is the reason this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, and maybe all of those things are true, but it, and I'm, when I say you, I'm just speaking to the general private citizen. It doesn't have to be you who provides that correcting commentary. It's not your job uh, to prevent the country from going to hell in a handbasket by confronting this person who is behaving badly somewhere. And, uh, the the way that I'm sort of trying to describe it is imagine if you're standing on the edge of a, of a sports field of some kind, let's say whatever it is. It, it could be a wrestling mat, it could be a football field, whatever. You're watching this thing play out. And then we finally, we get so enraged or upset uh, about this other person's shamelessness and brazen behavior and uh, poor behavior, whatever it is. And we we make the decision to say something. Well, when we do that, we have just stepped we're stepping onto the field but guess what now you don't get to leave and the other person now has some measure of control over some measure of your future now how much and for how long well that's uh, we're going to wait and see on that it may only be your future for the next five minutes and in some of these incidents, they have significant control and effect over your future for the next seven years uh, because you don't have total control on how the situation is going to play out. And that's if there's a, the one thing I could just get some people to understand is that once you've made the decision to engage, the other person has just as much input on the outcome of the situation as, as you do. Uh, and, and no matter how well prepared, we think we are. Uh, th- things don't always work out the way we think they're going to, or they should, and people don't respond well, uh, or the way we think they should respond uh, to, to our inputs, and, and it can become very dangerous very quickly. It can also become very frustrating and, and embarrassing very quickly.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely correct. <clears throat> um. You know, one of our one of our owners, the CCW safe Stan Campbell. Stan and I have gone all over the country teaching stuff on de escalation. Before de escalation was a cool thing to do, right? Um, but his thing is so, so very close to yours, and and he always refers to it as the last sixty seconds. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Okay, sixty seconds counts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Somewhere in almost every single incident, not completely, but mm-hmm. almost every single incident, there's something that occurs in that last 60 seconds that, that either ends the scenario or, or throws the match in the, in the fire or yes. in, the, in the, in the gas. Yes. Something there that you, that goes on in that last 60 seconds that either diffuses or ignites.
1: Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, uh, one of the other things that I've been uh, in, my, in my notes and just recollections and writing that, I, that I'm remembering about, again, the otherwise normal person, just the every man, the every woman, okay? These are not people who look for trouble necessarily. They're not hoping to be involved in an incident, but um, some of the things I've seen <clears throat> that are, Often very dangerous to ourselves. Uh, one of those is righteous anger, uh, where we, when we have something occur, we see something, uh, and we have this righteous anger based on the other person's lack of honor. For you know, that's that's one way to look at it. Uh, lack of uh, you know, lack of shame, overt brazen uh, disrespect, um, shocking, truly shocking insults that are made. In the presence, typically, what I've seen, the presence of our spouse or significant other, in the presence of our children, uh, something like that. Those are the big triggers for people. And um, when we often talk about, you know, confrontations and and the the, the importance of remaining calm and, and not reacting to verbal verbal stimuli, well, that's again that you those conversations usually happen in a very aseptic, uh, static environment. It's another thing altogether when a person issues a truly mind-numbing, shocking insult to you in the presence of your wife. And uh, that is where we are often in the most danger because now we are full of these chemicals in our brain because we're angry and and it's righteous anger. And so that's that's the danger there. Righteous anger makes us think that we hold the moral high ground and thus it's rational and correct to say or do something about this situation and righteous anger fools us into thinking that bystanders are share our opinion or feelings about this person or the situation and those same bystanders are going to act as witnesses in our favor uh, if we're ever if they are questioned by an authority figure and i'm i'm in my experience many times that is not the case a person may be full of righteous anger and bystanders may also believe that the stranger is a reprehensible human being and they will also tell the police uh yeah but uh doug's uh, response to that was uh really really out of line as well and it didn't help things um and i i mean i've lost count of the number of situations i've seen like that
0: Yep. Yep. Seen with law enforcement
2: Mm -hmm. oh oh, yeah
0: you guys get their healers hurt and then they Uh, cross that line yeah yeah Uh, yeah i was very i was very fortunate and i i always like to say this for the guys that i got to work around um i never asked to be in a position to judge an officer's behavior but it's something that came with the position when you're working as their subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I can cast a critical eye on something and give you, uh, a safer, more effective way to resolve a situation, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. Right. It may be something that saves your career, saves your life, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, The vast majority of cases that I had to look at that required remediation for more use than was necessary Mm -hmm. came about because of not enough use of force at the onset.
3: Yes, yes, That's that's a common problem
0: so you know guys are are they're afraid to to be offensive or whatever and, and all of a sudden they get behind get behind the eight ball on this mm-hmm. thing and now to catch back up and not be seriously harmed they have to go right. really ramp up and go above and beyond and if they have just handled the situation from the onset yes you, you'd have walked away would have would have been no big deal
1: right right um uh, that's that that issue with uh it's an ongoing problem of timidity almost uh a a reluctance to engage uh for whatever reason i mean there's a a wide variety of uh, factors and the debate kind of rages on with that but i mean especially amongst law enforcement officers who are tasked with and responding to ongoing situations and and controlling and controlling it right um you know, that's for me, I don't know about how it's been for you, but, you know, I've been given a great deal of thought to, you know, I'm, I'm not a police officer any longer. Right. Um, so, you know, what, I'm not charged with responding to situations. I am not re- tasked with, uh, you know, with quelling disturbances and keeping the peace and, and, and you know, stepping into the middle of, of, of disputes at all. That is not my mission. And I've really, um, I've been trying to think about, you know, what is a private citizen's mission you know what what I mean and again everybody has their own you know their own uh, values and and needs and wants and so forth but a private citizen's mission I mean if you don't have a mission to to a a central guiding theme for when you are angry when you are upset uh, when you are confused about what to do next I, I think it's important to if you're not sure what to do go back to the core mission that you you've adopted for yourself. And, and the one that I've come up with is still a work in progress is uh, a private citizen's mission is to protect and preserve your physical safety, your personal freedom and your future quality of life. Uh, and of course, along with that, when I say your, your physical safety, I'm including your immediate family as well, but your physical safety, your personal freedom and future quality of life. And, and you know, future quality of life is largely based on your, your physical health, your financial stability, uh, your professional reputation, uh, that kind of thing. And so if, if your actions um, are in some way interfering with or, or, or doing harm to your physical safety, your personal freedom, or your future quality of life, then, then maybe don't do that. Uh, You know, whatever, whatever your response to aggression or response to insults or response to conflict is uh, what I'm thinking thus far is if you can focus on those three things or at least keep them maybe not in the front of your mind, but in the back of your mind, you know, hey, it's just a parking space, man. It's just a parking space. And he's yeah, he's saying some horrible things about you and your family. But the best thing to do is just to drive on drive yep. on you don't 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 make any gestures don't say anything just drive on because anything you do to with a person like that it is going to threaten your physical safety your personal freedom and your future quality of life um so that, that's a little thing i'm working
0: on so far we'll see how it goes i want to know when you're when you're going to present this
1: I don't know. I, I'm not sure yet. Doesn't I'm, I'm
0: not rushing yet. Yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> just, uh, when
0: you're ready, I want to see this.
1: <laughs> you know, I uh, um, man, I don't know if that would be allowed to. Uh, you know, I was talking to Wayne Dobbs about this um, a while ago. May, you know, maybe at a future TACON or something, um, because I, I really do want to use these real-world examples that I've seen and responded to. Uh, so the, the, this is, these are not hypotheticals. I mean, these are, these are um, you know, actual things that have happened. Um, can, can I share one with you? Would that be okay? A, a real world example of something that got out of control? Absolutely. So um, this occurred in a movie theater, a, a, a pretty crowded movie theater, you know, in, uh, you know, in, in a relatively, you know, suburban urban setting. Um, so the, the players involved are a 60-year-old white male with his wife. And the other party um, is a black female, roughly thirty years old. So they're inside the movie theater. The movie is playing. Uh, obviously, it's dark. The lady is sitting uh, one row in front of the man, in a little offset. And she's got her, you know, she's got her smartphone up in front of her face, big, bright, lit screen. People are sighing. People are making some noise, but she doesn't care. Eventually, this the man, the 60-year-old white male, leans down, and it, according to witnesses, he he was pretty polite, and and said, you know, hey, would you mind, you know, turning that turning that phone off? And I, I'm not going to say, because you know, I'm trying to be somewhat decent here, I'm not going to say the exact words. I'll say enough that that the audience can can understand about this. And the reason why I'm doing this, Rob, is because most, and, I, and I'm being a little a little stereotypical, most. Decent, regular human beings are never confronted with this kind of insult. And so, you know, they're not used to it. And so I believe we need to be prepared for these kind of insults so that we don't over uh, overact. So when he asked her politely to put the phone down, she turns to him and yells at him uh, in a bright in a really, really loud voice, you know, M or F I will shove this phone up your wife's P word and other people, I mean, gasped his wife. Oh my God. Gasped. I mean, it's just, everything just gets totally silent, right? He is now switched into sort of this honor based uh, response. Right. And remember I mentioned earlier, we, when, when are we in the most danger when we have righteous anger, usually involving our children or our spouse. So his wife, he regards it as a personal threat and insult to his wife in the presence of his wife. And you and I both know that he was also thinking, I have, I have to do something. I can't just sit here and take that, right? Because now everybody's watching, his wife is watching. So he is overcome with rage and he does something very, very stupid. He pours his drink on her. Um, and that's when she stood up screaming and yelling, Walks, stepped out of the aisle and into the, onto the steps. He sees her coming. He stands up. He's standing on the steps there, and she starts swinging. And so now we have a sixty-year-old white male involved in effectively a fistfight with a thirty-year-old black female in a public place in a movie theater. Um, they have to stop the movie. The lights come on. Uh, the police get called. You know, staff comes in. It, it's it's pretty bad. And so my, my, my rhetorical question for anyone listening is, no matter what race or age you are, let's just step into this guy's shoes for just a few seconds. Picture ourselves, we're a, 30, we're a 60 year old white male having a physical fight with a 30 year old black female in a crowd. Is there anything that I can say or do that is going to make any other person believe that this is reasonable? That this is okay, and and I think the answer to that is absolutely not no. And so um, when the police get called, everybody wants to press charges against everybody else, but ultimately the way it got handled was they were both cited for, uh, a, in Texas, disorderly conduct. You know, a fighting in public. It's a mutual combat situation. Well. I found out later that man had a professional license. He was a uh, engineer of some kind. I, I don't know what type, but I, I believe he was like an electronic engineer. Uh, and there's a pretty significant um, you know, defense footprint in this area between uh, Texas Instruments and Raytheon. I don't know if he worked for one of those, but, um, so you know, he didn't contest it, but, so he didn't go to jail, but he does now have a disorderly conduct for fighting in public charge on his record. And, you know, it's a class C misdemeanor, which is sort of the same as like a red light ticket, you know, and it's not, it's not, it's not going to put him in jail, um, you know, but now he's got two problems. One, uh, if he has a security clearance uh, to work on, on things, well, they, they run periodic criminal background checks on that. That's going to show up. Uh, And two, what if that man is ever involved in a, absolute must have, cannot escape it, use of force incident in the future. Not his fault, no other choice. He is forced to use deadly force to protect himself or, or, or you know a third party. Do you think the ugly incident in the movie theater is going to come up again? It is absolutely going to be brought, it's going to be, in fact, it may even be reinvestigated. It may be looked at again. In uh, some jurisdictions, they would go and find that other person, the 30-year-old black female, and interview her again about it. Um, so just because an incident doesn't result in a catastrophic failure or a negative, a so-called negative outcome, like what Claude Warner looks at, it does not mean that it's over or that it doesn't affect your future or that it doesn't put you at significant legal peril in the future. Uh, and that's just one
0: example. Yeah, it's perfect um man you got my wheels turning now i think i want to i think i want to do another show i think i want to want to grab wayne and bring him in yeah let's just round table something like that yeah i mean you know
1: and then i've got i won't go into all of them here but you know i've got several other incidents i can think of where uh you know where most people would say you know the guy kind of got an educational beatdown, and what he did was wrong he shouldn't have said this he shouldn't have done that and you know uh, the, the citizen punched him in the face for it and yeah he deserved that but what we don't think about is again it's that part of we just now have given over uh, a, a poor control of our future to a person that everybody thinks was such a reprehensible person they actually deserved an educational beatdown. so he gets to decide if he wants to press charges against you for assault. He gets to decide when he does it within the window of those limitations. Uh, you know, most states give you, you know, two, so usually two years on on uh, you know on on misdemeanor type stuff, uh, even longer if it's considered a felony. So now let's just say let's just for I won't go into the specific details, but let's just say for whatever reason. We foolishly, that somebody said something that was so bad that we ended up actually physically assaulting the per, or, you know, punching them just one time, right? Well, that is an assault. It's an illegal, unlawful assault. We initiated force against another person. Now we get to sit around for two years and wait to see if that guy wants to file criminal charges on us. And sometimes the type of people that are so reprehensible that they make those kind of scenes and insults in public in the first place, they're very calculating and they will wait 18 months and then decide they do in fact, want to proceed with charges. And most places, even if the cops have an opinion about that, which they will, they will have an opinion about it. And they'll think it's, uh, they'll think it's again, just more reprehensible behavior. But at the end of the day, we're the one who punched this guy in the face and he wants this to proceed. So guess what? It's going to proceed. And now you may have to go to trial for assault uh, over something very stupid that occurred two years ago. Um, again, this, it's a hypothetical example I'm giving now, but it's based on real world incidents. Um, if someone is such a horrible person that they are shameless and brazen in public, they're insulting in public, they're willing, they are overly willing to engage in, in a confrontation in a public place. Entitled. With <laughs> entitled, No, and no no hint of embarrassment about it. Why would you want to have any contact with a person like that? And why would we ever want to give a person like that power over us or our future? I mean, is it worth $30,000? You know, because it, if it's just a little misdemeanor thing, it's still that it easily cost us that much, you know? People
0: don't understand that.
1: No, you know, I'm not even talking about a deadly force thing. I'm just talking no. about just a just a good a good old fight. Yeah. I mean, you know, even if it all eventually goes away, well, guess what? You still end up with an arrest on your record or a, being charged, and then it'll show. Even if you're if you're exonerated, well, okay, so zero convictions, one arrest. That's there forever. You don't you can't take that. It doesn't go away. So now. If you go and apply for a job somewhere in the future, many of these jobs run criminal background checks. They're going to see this. Imagine now if you're the it's you're you're a top tier, you know, uh, candidate, and there's another candidate that's very similar. Imagine how that follow-up interview is going to go. Hey, Doug, let's talk about this uh, um, this assault conviction that you have from yeah. four, four years ago. Uh, what what happened there? And now you're going to have to explain it all over again. And then the then it's going to, a decision maker is going to be like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we want that guy working here anymore yeah. or, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, it can affect your personal job many miles away. It doesn't have to be in the same. It doesn't even have to be in the same state where you lived or work or where the incident
0: took place. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Brother, thank you for hopping on with us today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm. I'm
1: truly really glad to be here it's really nice to, uh, to be asked thank you
0: as i was saying earlier i uh i think we need to reach out to to wayne and and kind of yes. brainstorm this up and see what we can't come up with because i think it'd be a great show oh yeah i think so too i'd like that um want to thank everybody for tuning in again uh look forward to seeing you again next week you can always get a hold of me if you got questions comments concerns suggestions uh you can reach me direct it's rob rob at ccwsafe.com um you got any takeaways there doug you got any gems you want to leave them with
1: no i I think i mean i've I've, i think i've covered what i'm what i'm comfortable covering so far it's just remember nothing happens in a vacuum anymore nothing uh there's cameras everywhere at least two cameras are on us at all times you're on stage the minute you walk out your front door every day thank you guys we'll see you next time